This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth planners and investment managers who offer unwavering support in challenging times. Visit candowealth.com for more information. Welcome to Coffeehouse Shots for Spectator's Daily Politics Podcast. I'm Fraser Nelson, and a few days ago, Katie Balls and I interviewed Liz Truss, her first interview since leaving number 10. It's now been released on Spectator TV, and Katie joins me to discuss it now with Kate Andrews. Now, Katie asked her whether she was really the most plausible person to be making the low-tax pro-growth argument, which now seems to be what she's dedicating her political career towards. Nobody would be more delighted than me, Katie, if there were lots of other people coming forward and making these arguments. I would be more than delighted to have other people go out there and make the case. But the fact is there aren't enough people making the case full stop. So, Katie, have we just heard the first of latest iteration of Liz Trust, the person who basically says, I tried to cut taxes, but the blob wouldn't let me? Well, I think it's quite clear this is a new phase in Liz Truss's career. And this interview, which comes after that 4,000 word article in the Sunny Telegraph, where she began to outline some of these arguments related to the OBR, what happened in the pension markets, that she now, after I think what was been, you know, a period of three months relative silence, now does want to make her voice heard. And because Liz Truss was saying, she says in the interview in further detail, lots of people have got in touch with her since she left 10 Downing Street and said, you know, you're right in your diagnosis. And I think from everything she said, she clearly thinks that she has diagnosed the correct problem, thinks that execution lacked finesse. I think that's one way of putting it. But plans keep going and saying lots of people agree with me. And I said, well, there will be plenty of people listening to this, watching this interview, who will be thinking, actually, the circumstances of your premiership mean that you're not in a good position to start talking about uh, your economic policies. Um, But she, I think, is just completely convinced that this is still the right thing to do and said, um, if someone else, you know, lots of people wanted to come and take the bat on, she wouldn't mind so much. But given they're not going to, you can expect to hear a lot more of her on this issue. And I would suspect more and more so in advance of the spring budget, but also just, I think, generally as the party, um, you know, starts to have this battle of ideas. I asked her in the interview if whether the lesson of the trust government wasn't a simple one, that deficit finance tax cuts simply don't work. Here's what she had to say. I, I don't agree that with your, the premise of your question, because what we were talking about on corporation tax is not raising corporation tax. The problem is that because we don't have, in my view, sufficiently dynamic forecasting, the prediction was that that would cost money. And it was the direct relationship of the OBR forecast with the market that's the issue. And the prevailing orthodoxy, which is that raising taxes increases revenue. Kate, this is the classic, I suppose, low-tax liberal conservative position, that high taxes mean growth, and as, as JFK once put it, there's a paradox for lower tax rates today. We mean higher tax revenues tomorrow. Is this an argument which you think she's going to win people over to? I think it's a compelling argument. Unfortunately, given what's happened, it's still very difficult to see how Liz Truss is the one that wins people over. Small L liberal conservative arguments can be very counterintuitive. This idea, Fraser, as you say, that lower tax rates can actually mean higher tax revenue. Um, the idea that tolerating the rich can actually very much help the poor. 
But you have to make these arguments with thoughtfulness and a nuance around them, and you have to be so well prepared. And, you know, the people that Liz Truss is always cited as, you know, being her heroes, Margaret Thatcher in particular, Ronald Reagan. Thatcher would carry around copies of Hayek's books in her bag. Reagan went to the think tanks and learned for years there about sort of free market ideology. And unfortunately, Liz Truss still, in your interview, is defending a very, very heavy spending agenda. I found it interesting that you guys both, Katie and Fraser, gave her a lot of opportunity to talk about how she might have done something like the energy price guarantee differently. And yet she defends it robustly and she's still implying that, um, you know, the figures in front of her, that the highest one, that 6,000 pound figure for your average household in their energy bill, you know, was something that she was taking seriously at the time. She had to act and she still doesn't acknowledge that that huge spending agenda, then on top of that, those deficit finance tax cuts may have played a role in the way the international markets reacted. So, you know, and this is the difficulty of Liz Truss. Around corporation tax is a really good example. The history of the 2010s suggests that when you lower corporation tax, you do get more revenue. But she she decided to take everything, lump it all into this one idea that I'll cut, 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 I'll spend, 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 and the economy will boom. And that's not true either. I mean, that actually strays into leftist territory. And I think you guys gave her a lot of opportunity to address that. And I find it very interesting that for somebody who's still so bold and confident in her vision, she still doesn't, at this point anyway, she still clearly doesn't see the problems with her spending agenda. And Casey, she sounded quite competitive, didn't she? I mean, it was... I guess she's always been a feisty politician. She has always been somebody who regards herself as a radical. I noticed when we went to interview, she's got this magnificent office now. It says one of the best offices in the House of Commons, I think. It was Jeremy Hunt's old one. A huge kind of uh, views over the statue of Boudicca. And on her wall, there is a picture of Che Guevara dressed up as Horatio Nelson. A kind of, you know, an imagined British revolutionary for somebody of Liz Truss who still is, Katie, talking as if she's a radical and a revolutionary who hasn't run out of ass to kick. Yeah, I think anyone who is looking for an apologetic Liz Truss interview will be disappointed by what they're hearing. Of course, the full version, um, you can pick up both on our YouTube channel and on the Best of Spectator podcast. Because as Kate points to, she... She has a few things she says went wrong, but a lot of the things she says went wrong are almost factors outside her control. I think it does raise some questions. So I think one thing, and perhaps we can get into it, is she's saying we weren't warned about you know, how fragile the economy was when it came to pensions. But then at the same time, how do you reconcile with the fact that Liz Truss and Quasi Quadang both seem to reject institutional knowledge? Now, I think you can still say, well, they still could have said something, but it doesn't always feel to me when Liz Truss, and you point out to her rebellious spirit, Fraser, it doesn't always feel, particularly in the early stage of premiership, that she was massively in listening mode. Um, But I think that she has always been a politician of conviction and she's always been particularly, you know, a a favourite of think tanks at Tory party conferences. So what I took as quite a big takeaway from that interview, which I think went further than probably the article over the weekend, was the fact that she seems very focused, not so much right now, I would say, on carving this prime ministerial career where you pick a charitable cause and you keep working at it, so much as having an active role in the current debate and the current direction of the Tory party. And now we do say to her, and perhaps we can play the clip, uh, well, first we said, do you regret going for the job? No, I don't. I don't regret it. And would you want to be prime minister again? No. <laughs> Are you, you, I thought you were a never-say-never sort of person. 
I think <laughs> I definitely want to be part of you know, promoting a pro-growth agenda. And she suggested she didn't really have any further leadership ambitions, yet kept talking about adding to the debate. So I think you can you cannot have leadership ambitions, but also want to play an instrumental role. Um, and I think that's, I think the fact that she wants to be so active in the Tory party and Tory circles and the Tory debate does mark her quite differently than some of her predecessors. I'm interested to hear from both of you what her attitude was off camera. For someone who's been through hell and back, I can only imagine over the past few months personally. I mean, everyone has their reaction to that mini budget. Everybody has their own personal stories, especially if you have a mortgage about how it might have affected you. But, you know, Liz Truss will have been put through the ringer too, presumably having a really hard time. And yet, Fraser, she comes off in this interview as somebody who's quite optimistic, who, as Katie says, is not terribly apologetic, and who's still confident to make the arguments. Was she the same off camera? Or is this a facade? Do you think she's still really thinking things through? Or has she come to the conclusion that she thinks she was right, and she's going to keep saying so? I've seen Liz Truss a few times since she left number 10. And I have to say that off camera, she's exactly the same as she is on camera. Ebullient, upbeat. She can make some self-deprecating jokes now, like "Oh, Ed, like everything's going very well, isn't it?" You know. And um, but she, I've always just been, and I was during the middle of her crisis, just astonished at how she shows no visible signs of strain. Now, and perhaps to be a politician, you need this kind of cognitive dissonance. You need to just separate what's actually going on with what you're doing to get through. She actually says during the interview, when we asked her, Katie asked her, just how did you feel? What was the tool in you? And she was saying, look, at that stage, I was told the markets were melting down. I did whatever I had to do to get through to the next day. I wasn't really thinking about my long-term future. But she, I mean, when David Cameron quit, he basically skulked off in shame from politics. He had done the, um, you know, he the Brexit debate. It was then exposed that he did absolutely no preparation for, yes, winning the debate. As a result, he had really sort of um, bad negligence on his part. And he's, he basically then said he wouldn't quit as an MP when he did. And he's barely said a word since. We've now seen both Liz Truss and Boris Johnson start to campaign on, on themes. I don't think, um, I think Boris Johnson, he's probably thinking to himself, look, if the Tories were in trouble when I was Prime Minister, there's nothing compared to the trouble they're in under Sinek. So he's now confining himself to talking about Ukraine. You've now got this trust who seems to be thinking to herself, and by the way, this is an honourable line of thought. She's thinking, well, I tried to do the action without the argument, and that was the wrong way around. So now I'm going to try to do the argument first, and maybe that will make, make it easier for others to follow with the action. And she's also saying something, again, which is noble, that if nobody else is doing something, then you should maybe try and do it yourself, even if you're not the ideal person to do it. And I also, I have always believed that her collapse was due to a whole bunch of factors, and that amongst her many indefensible mistakes, there were quite a few good points where she where she was right. And I think she is right in saying that the, the low-tax liberal side of a debate doesn't really... There's not that many well-armed think tanks like there are in America. And if you look at the well, like what Thatcher and Reagan had, the sort of the decade of intellectual counter-revolution, none of that has really taken place this time around. Perhaps the tragedy of this trust is proof that ideas need to go first and they need to be the kind of icebreakers for somebody else to follow. The politicians can't rush in there with an idea that 
hasn't really been made by other people. But I think she is still, though, quite indefatigable, quite resilient. She will have plenty of people calling her crazy, deluded, in denial, etc. I think to be a successful politician, part of you needs to have a kind of moth-to-the-flame ambition. One of these sort of the political equivalent of where you don't feel any pain, you just keep going. And I think whatever that characteristic is, she's got it. Do you think she is a successful politician, Fraser? She has certainly made an impact. She became foreign secretary, she became prime minister. But can you say she was a successful prime minister? I don't think even she would make that claim. We can already see from the reaction to the article on Sunday that large swathes of the Tory party would rather this trust said nothing mm-hmm. and had an extended silence, I think, for about maybe till after the next election. But they're not, they're not going to get their wish there. And what I think is perhaps more telling or more notable is, of course, if you've had a leader which has led to the type of poll slump, what happened during it, there's going to be lots of criticism. But there's still a group who've been fairly supportive over the weekend. Do you think, you know, Jake Berry, Simon Clark, quite a few figures who served in her government, but also people like John Redwood, making fairly positive soundings, not saying this person should be prime minister or anything like that. I mean, Liz Truss herself said she's going to be prime minister again, saying she has a point on the growth argument. And therefore, I think when we're talking about Liz Truss and what counts as a comeback, you can almost go a bit too much to the extremes, which is no one, including Liz Truss herself, is talking about her finding a way back to being prime minister. It's quite different to the Boris Johnson threat to Rishi Sunak, which is much more about the personality, about the person. Instead, they're talking about... Is there a place for some of these ideas? Now, there will be lots of uh, figures, and I know some who used to work for this trust do not think that she should even be making the interventions right now because they think that she is not the right messenger because of everything that happened. Well, that that she toxifies whatever message she wants to embrace. Exactly. So if you want to be having talk about supply-side reform and low tax actually it's better for someone else to say it than for her to, you know, sit down with the spectator for an hour. But (laughs) the point is, and and that's going to be a certain thing, but there are you know, big group within the Tory party who at the moment think things are quite managerial of Rishi Sunak. And again, that's not to say they want to suddenly trade Rishi Sunak. I think there's little appetite right now to go anywhere near changing leader. But it does mean, depending on how you do these interventions, those pushing for, you know, a bit more perhaps ambition, supply-side reform, looking at the spring budget, what can you do on growth? It's whether or not Liz Truss can play a role in that debate. And I think that is still, despite all the criticism today from her own side, something that to me remains in the air and she does have, amongst some in the party, still the potential to do that. I've been wondering if the Liz Truss intervention in the Sunday Telegraph now with The Spectator is really a commentary on, on the larger state of the Tory party, that people are not so disciplined anymore. I mean, it has, certainly under Liz Truss, it felt a bit like the end of the Theresa May years. You know, then we got a majority with Boris Johnson that was messy in its own way. And the fact that Rishi Sunak, you know, is putting his head down, is being quite managerial. You know, people almost feel like there's there's space, there's scope to stir things up. Liz Truss is certainly trying to stir things up. But, you know, I also wonder if she's trying to make sure that 
history writes the way she wants it to. I mean, one of our colleagues has already done a book on this trust. There are going to be more to come, probably. And she, she did um, apparently tell him it was a work of fiction, so she hadn't read it. So that, that's clearly not the Liz Truss first version. But she clearly wants to say that it was all of these external factors and only a bit my fault that exactly. things went so wrong. And mm. and that is the narrative that she really seems to double down on in the Spectator interview. Uh, and you know, Fraser, I again I question it when she when she says, and I think it is probably one of the most, um, I think it's one of the big explosions in this interview, you know, had I known about these LDI pension funds, mm. I, I might not have done my mini budget, certainly not the way I did. It is rewriting the fact that she had been very clear, as had her supporters throughout the leadership campaign, that they wanted interest rates to go up. I mean, it isn't just saying I wouldn't have done my mini budget. It's kind of suggesting that she wouldn't have run on much of the platform that she ran on. You know, they wanted tighter monetary policy. They wanted looser fiscal policy. It isn't, this isn't just a technicality. I think it speaks to her broader point. And I'm still not sure that she totally connects those two things. Yes, I think that she ended up um, also caught up in this mindset that rates were always low and the world wasn't going to get much more more dangerous. When that changed, all of a sudden it introduced new dangers like the LDI pension investments, which eventually ensnared her. And it's, it's I guess this is the fundamental problem of this trust. She wanted to do quite a lot very quickly at exactly the time where the market was changing and without much explanation even to those who would have backed her as to what she was doing and why. So she's now, strangely enough, in the position of trying to explain herself after she left office. This is what she should have done really before and during. But now we've got Sam Listrust giving a one-hour interview with a spectator where she tried to explain the methods and why she failed. And you can listen to that on our Special Spectator podcast channel, or you can watch it on Spectator TV, and it's now out. Katie and Kate, thanks very much indeed for joining me.